Let's get to our message today. It comes from Colossians 1, verses 3 to 8. Colossians 1, verses 3. Does anybody here have a physical Bible that they bring to church? Can you raise your hand? Oh, yes. One, two, three, four. I don't know why I get excited. You know, all of you have Bibles in your phones, but, you know, there's something about old school sometimes that gets me excited. That has nothing to do with the message. Okay. Uh, Let's read together. Verse 3, it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the ways that you're, you want to speak to us. God, open up our hearts so that we might truly see what you're doing. Your gracious and beautiful works not only in our lives or in our church, but in the world. And Father, help us to be true children of the gospel that just love you and are thankful each and every single day and just want to make you greater in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start off my sermon with a question, and that's this. Um, What do you think of when you think of the gospel? So if I were to say, hey, the gospel, what's the gospel? What do you think of? Do you guys want to shout out answers? Is that too, like, Asian-y, not, you know? It makes me too uncomfortable? You know? No? Nobody wants? Okay, that's fine. You don't have to shout out anything. What do you think of when you think of the gospel? Do you think of Jesus? Yeah, I kind of think of Jesus. Do you think of, like, salvation? You know, do you think of, like, church? You know, maybe. Do you think of, like, grace? Yeah. That's cool. Those things are good. Okay, that's good. But here's the question I want to ask. When I, when, when I ask that question, when you, what do you think of when you think of the gospel? Did anyone here think of the word power? Raise your hand. Power. Yeah, it's something that we never really think about, right? The gospel being power. But did you know that the gospel is power? It is. It's the power of God. It says this in Romans 1.16. Okay, and we're going to look at that. Romans 1.16 says this. This is what Paul says in Romans 1.16. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the what? The power of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. What is this verse saying? It's saying that the gospel's story is the power of God. But what does the power of God do? This verse says that the power of God changes lives, right? The power of God changes lives. It saves people from death to life. It brings people from heaven, or sorry, from hell into heaven, right? It transforms sinners to become saints. People who are selfish and self-centered to become servants of the kingdom and slaves to Christ, Right? It continually changes us to become like Jesus and to be like Jesus to the world. And if we truly understand that the gospel is the power of God to change lives, then if we are to be gospel people, 
then we are to be changed people, aren't we? Or maybe more accurately, we are to be changing people because the power of God is dynamic, right? It's not a static power of God. It's a dynamic power of God. Therefore, it changes us dynamically to become more like Jesus every single day, right? This is why Jesus says that you know, that, that you'll know a true disciple by their what? By their fruit, right? All right, slide people, it is not now, okay? But, you know, and that's why, like, you know, you'll know a disciple by its fruit. And the thing is, when, he, when Jesus said that, it's not like he saw fruit one time on a tree, say, so see, there you go. No, but you'll know a healthy tree by what? Fruit, a tree that, a tree bears fruit every single year, doesn't it? And so when you see a disciple bearing fruit, you're like, okay, that's fine. But if you see all of a sudden, if you see a disciple bearing fruit year after year after year after year, you're like, okay, that's a, that's a real disciple. That guy's growing. That guy's changing. And I can see it. You know, that's why Jesus says fruit legitimizes our discipleship, right? A person that's truly touched by the gospel, the power of God, changes. And a person who is continually rooted in the gospel continually changes and bears fruit. Why? Because the gospel is life-changing power. You guys get that? Okay, that's a, that's a concept I want you to embrace. But the tough part about being a Christian sometimes is, you know, we know we're Christians. We know we're trying in the Christian life. But sometimes we just don't see that fruit, do we? Right? We don't see the power of God or we don't feel the power of God changing us or working through us. You know, we don't really see the fruit that we want to see in our lives, or maybe we don't see the fruit that we expect to see, especially after all this investment. How come I'm not getting back as much as I put into this Christianity thing or to Jesus? And so during those times, we get tempted to doubt. We get tempted to doubt whether our faith is legit, whether God is real, whether God's really within our lives. And it's during those times when we have those little doubts about, you know, man, I put in this much, but I don't think I'm getting back as much from God. Those are the times that we get tempted to look at other things to kind of supplement our experience in faith. You know what I'm talking about? And this is what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. We get tempted to look at worldly wisdom, other religious philosophies to help kind of supplement our religious experience. And so what Paul's saying here is that it's during those times that we need to be reminded of exactly what God is doing right now that maybe we haven't been looking at. We need to be reminded of the ways that the gospel is actually changing lives right now so that we don't turn to any place else and so that we can once again have our confidence in the gospel in Christ and reinvest ourselves into the gospel and Christ. So Paul writes this part of the letter to try and show the Colossians that the gospel is powerfully at work. And he points to three places where the gospel is working and powerfully bearing fruit. Number one, it's working and powerfully bearing fruit in them. In the, number two, in the world. And number three, in their leaders. And through these points, he hopes for them to place their confidence solely upon the gospel of Jesus Christ again. So to what you know what we're going to do today hopefully will be a very encouraging message to y'all because hopefully we're going to try to point out the ways the gospel is not only working in the world but maybe within our church and in our lives today. And the whole point of that is so that you could be like, "Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that." And hopefully it'll give you confidence that God is here. That God is working. 
not only, not only in church, but in your life. And through that, hopefully, by the end of this message, you'll be like, you want to know something? I am going to invest more in Christ. I am going to invest more in the gospel. I just didn't see it. And that's what I hope will happen by the end of this message. Okay? So here we go. First, he points out that the gospel is changing them or changing us. Q, there we go. Q slide. All right, see, I, I, we're trying to work together. To do, eh, who cares? Okay. So Colossians 1, 3 to 6, it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Here, Paul, Paul's pointing out the trifecta of fruit. The trifecta of fruit from the gospel, which is what? Faith, love, and hope. Did you ever hear those before? Of course you have. Every wedding you go to, you always hear 1 Corinthians 13, don't you? You know, at the end there's faith, hope, and love. And, and the greatest of these is? Love. And it's true. The grace of these is love. But you know what Paul says in this particular passage? He says something that's so unique and so cool. He says, faith and love actually come from hope. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever heard that? Faith and love come from hope. And it's, just not, it's not any other, any ordinary hope that he's talking about. Here he says, it's the hope, verse 5, stored up for us in heaven. What exactly is the hope stored up for us in heaven? And every book that I've read and every theologian that I've tried to consult, they don't specifically know exactly what that hope is. However, this is what every book that I've read said. It states that these people, these Colossian believers, chose to live their lives trusting Christ, which is faith, trusting Christ and loving others, because they were convinced of the blessings and the promises that Jesus held for them after death. Isn't that amazing? Okay. I mean, how often do the after-death promises of Jesus motivate you to live holy? Oh, yeah, you know, after, after I die, you know, this is what God's going to do with, for me. Therefore, I'm going to be holy today. How often does that happen? Right? How often do the after-death promises of Jesus Christ cause you to trust in him for your everyday circumstances or cause you to love those who are unlovable right now? My guess is probably not enough. Right? Am I right? For the normal Christian, the normal westernized Christian, probably not enough. We all need to grow in those areas. But let me ask you a question. If all of a sudden you realize by the end of the day, oh my gosh, all day today, all I kept thinking about was heaven and the things that God has in store for me. And that made me like choose to love people I don't like. That made me like, you know, look at this person's eternity. That made me want to make God greater in my work or in my studies. And you look back upon your day and you're like, oh my gosh, I was motivated by that? If you were... I think both you and I would agree that God's doing something in your life. Am I right? That's something that just doesn't normally happen, even for the normal Christian. That's something that's amazing because you're being motivated by something eternal somehow, some way. I think that's absolutely amazing. But here's, well, here's the thing. The believers, they didn't see that. These believers in Colossae didn't see that. Paul's stating, hey, this is what I see in you, even though he's never seen them. But this is what I've been hearing about you. But these believers didn't see that. It took a man in jail 1,000 miles away in order to point that out to them. 
Maybe you are a believer in Christ today. You're sitting in these seats. You're watching from home. You know, you've been trying to live holy. You're trying to do everything right. You're, you're, you're taking steps. You know you're taking steps to get closer to God. But you just don't see the fruit. You just don't feel the fruit in your life. Can I ask you to do something that hopefully, hopefully will be very encouraging this week? Will you go to a Christian friend, a, Grish, a Christian brother or sister, this week and ask that person, hey, can you point out the fruit that you see in me? Because sometimes we don't see it in ourselves. And I think you just might be encouraged. And I hope you will be, right? Um, but Eddie, what happens if somebody comes up to me and asks me that question? What does fruit look like? What am I supposed to be looking for? You know, and what is fruit supposed to be? And, I, and, and when I first wrote this message, I wrote all these like 10, 10 things that you can look for. But then I thought, oh, that's stupid. Oh, it's not stupid. But all oh, that's good, <laughs> you know, but maybe I can share something better. Let me share with you some real fruit. Let me share with you some fruit that I've seen in the past 10 months that I've been here. Real conversations I've had with FLM members. And you tell me if this is not pretty encouraging. Here we go. I changed the gender designations just to make sure you're like, oh, was that you? Was that you? Okay. Here we go. Here, I'll share seven things that happened there. Here we go. You know, I talked to a person who said that she had gone to church her whole life, this, this church, and likes it. She even serves and she enjoys it. But last year, for some reason, it was the first time she felt like she ever questioned whether her faith was really about Jesus. To her, church was always about church and about having faith, and about her friends. But it was the first time that she felt like she had to question whether it was really about Jesus. But now she's learning to make her faith about Christ, which she says changes everything. Isn't that amazing? I talked to a person who had been part of other churches for many years, never served, never was really an intimate part of the, uh, the communities there. But after coming to our church for a while, felt like he just needed to take some real steps in his faith because he wanted to grow for the first time, maybe for in a long time. And so he volunteers to serve in one of our ministries, signs up for a CG. Isn't that amazing? How does that happen? There are people who have never come to Friday night prayer, but now they come regularly, you know? Choosing to go to a prayer meeting on a Friday night when you could be out with all of your other friends doing much more holy things, that's God. Why would you come to church when you could be like doing holy things with your friends? That is God, okay? Because I know Friday night's a great night. I've gotten email after email, SMS after SMS, Facebook message after Facebook message of people asking me for prayer. And they're praying for specific things. Eddie, you got to pray for him because this week I want to reconcile with someone that I've hurt or someone that I've hurt or been hurt by in the past. Eddie, I need you to pray for me because I'm, I'm going to share the gospel this week with a friend and with a person I've been praying for for like a year. Eddie, I need you to pray with me because, you know, I'm about to talk to my group of friends that I've been friends with like forever so that, and I'm just going to ask them, hey, can we base our friendships upon Jesus maybe for the first time in our lives? That's huge, isn't it? 
And every one of us knows that. You, you grow up with people at church, but maybe your friendship at church was never really about Jesus. But it's always awkward to bring that up. And so, like, you know, they want prayer for that. I think that's a huge. I talked to a person who's never been to Kurong, the Christian bookstore in West Ride, but went to Kurong for the first time. That's a win, you know? Yeah, you could go anywhere to go shopping, but chooses to go to a Christian bookstore. You know, that's awesome. Uh, uh, I know that there are people here in this church who are fighting sins and trying to overcome sins in their lives that six months ago they wouldn't have even recognized as sin in their life. It's amazing. I've talked to a person who says that they've never... Ugh, I talked to a person I've talked to a person who said that they've never been touched by the love of Christ their whole life, never had an emotional experience. And so I asked this person, well, how do you still go to church then? I mean, don't you kind of need that? Don't you kind of want that? And this person said, I still go to church because I'm convinced that even though I've never had an emotional experience with God, there is no one else worth living for. That's God, you know? So, is the gospel working here at FLM? Hell yeah, it is. And I know that there are so many more personal stories that all of you guys have that we have yet to hear so what I want you to do is I want you to share those stories with your friends. Share those stories with your CG. Share those stories, you know, with your mentors or whoever it is, because we need to hear them. We need to be encouraged, you know, by what God is doing in each one of our lives. And so let's do that, you know. And that's what makes me love pastoring a church like this, when I hear the stories of what God is doing. I love it, right? So that's why I'm asking you, do your own research. You may not see it in you. Maybe you were the one that went to Kurong and someone saw you, you know, and told me about it. You know, ask your friends, what fruit do you see in me? You might be so, so surprised at the things that they say. Because sometimes we do need our brothers and sisters to point those things out to us, just like Paul had to point it out to these Colossian brothers and sisters. And so when we see that and when we see our friends telling us, oh, my God, I do see God working in you so powerfully. You know what it makes you want to do? It makes you want to invest much more in Christ and the gospel because you realize how much God has actually invested in you. You see, you didn't even know it. You didn't even see it. But yet that's how much he is. Why? Because the gospel is power. And if you're, if you're following Christ and you're a believer and you're a child of God, he's working powerfully in you. Right? Didn't he say that he was going to continue to work it in you until the day of completion? Right? That's what I'm saying. Sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to point it out. It's absolutely affirming to know that the gospel is bearing fruit and changing us to be like Jesus. And I'm sure that's exactly how the Colossian believers felt when they read this part of this letter. And I hope you do as well. But Eddie, what happens if I ask my friends to point out fruit... But they say to me, oh, yeah, sorry. I don't see anything. Then the answer is what? Yeah, go to a different friend. <laughs> you know? 
But what if like two or three friends kind of just consistently are hesitant to say anything and you kind of get to the conclusion that, hey, maybe I'm not bearing any fruit. And that's a, that's a real possibility, isn't it? Then I think you need to either question, here we go, we're going to question a few things. I think you either need to question, you either need to question whether your faith in Christ is legit, whether you're really dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ, Right? You need to question that. And I, and I hate pe- making people question their, you know, if they're a Christian or not. But I think we need to. Because what? Because Jesus said real Christians bear fruit. Okay? And if three or four people are saying, oh, dude, sorry, can't see it, then maybe you're not bearing fruit because maybe you're not a real tree, you know? Yet. 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 Maybe you need to become a Christian. Or if you truly know that you're a Christian, right? I know I am then maybe just like these Colossian believers, you, start, you started to mix your faith with other things, like other religious things, and all of a sudden your focus came off of Christ and the gospel and you're focused on all these other things so much that you're not bearing the fruit that you would have if you just kind of just focused on Jesus and the gospel. Or maybe you've replaced Jesus and gospel with these other idols and passions and drives within your life so much that you've just kind of like pushed it all out so that now this is what the, you're bearing fruit in this area, but you ain't bearing fruit over here. Is that fair to say? You know? Or maybe you're just sinning a lot and you really don't care about this as much, even though you, you, know, you know you're saved and you just need to kind of return to it. There could be so many possibilities. Regardless, don't take it as a negative. Well, you have to. <laughs> but take it as a great opportunity to once again refocus your faith on Christ and the gospel. What I love about Christ in the gospel is his mercies are new every single morning. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven, you're righteous, and you can operate in your identity in Christ. It's a matter of whether you're going to choose to move in that direction and you want to grow and bear fruit in in there or not. That's you. Okay? So repent and move and start bearing fruit that you were born to bear that you were, you know, born to bear. I guess that makes sense, yes. Okay? So uh, if you need help, talk to me. Call me, SMS me, message me, whatever. I can help you. If you need help, call your CG leader, your last year's CG leader. Call any one of our leaders. We'll help you. That's what we're here for. If there's anything that, the whole reason why we exist is to help you follow Christ. Okay? So please, hit us up and will help you to grow. The gospel changes us and is changing us to be like Christ. And so what I want us to learn how to do as a church is to celebrate that much more. Let's celebrate the things that God's doing regularly. And hopefully that'll be a regular part of your CG as well. Okay? So that we can invest, so that we can invest ourselves more in Christ and the gospel. Number two, the gospel is changing the world. Colossians 1.6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, you, you have to realize this verse is actually an amazing, amazing, amazing verse, okay? Not that the others aren't amazing, but this is really amazing because, uh, not only because of what it's saying, but because of what it means in light of all of Scripture, which I'll I'll get to in a second. Obviously, it's saying that the gospel is currently bearing fruit and growing all throughout the world. And what you need to realize is that's a ridiculous statement, okay? This is like maybe 50 years after Jesus died. And Paul is saying the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all throughout the world right now. And that's crazy. Why? 
Because 50 years earlier, who knew that a bunch of 11 nobodies, tax collectors, fishermen, who were, who were following a guy who claimed to be God, but yet got crucified on a cross, would become world changers in a matter of 50 years, right? They didn't have internet, no YouTube. There was no way they could have gotten this message to the whole world. How did they do it then? You know how they did it? They did it by foot. They did it by mouth. Person to person. Oh my gosh. You know? That's how they did it. And what you have to realize is it's not that easy. Oh yeah, I guess, I guess we could do that. If you just talk to like 20 people a day for 50 years, I guess we could do that. No. Because you have to realize that the Roman Empire encompassed what? Different races different cultures, different languages. How did these 11 nobody uneducated men reach different cultures and languages if you don't know the language and if you don't even understand the cultural values of the people you're trying to reach with the gospel? How does this happen? And that's the answer that Paul is getting at. Because the gospel is not only the power of God in and of itself, right, which is powerful enough to change the world, but it's a story that speaks to the universal condition of every human being. And that's why it has an impact, right? And this is what points us back to all of Scripture, especially the Old Testament. You know, okay, here we go. When Paul says this phrase that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, does that sound like any other phrase in the Old Testament that you may have heard? bearing fruit and growing. Hopefully, it reminds you of the original mandate in creation when God created Adam and Eve. All of a sudden, he told Adam and Eve to do what? To be fruitful and multiply. You guys remember that? Right? And that's exactly what he's referring to. That's exactly the exact same command that Paul is referring to right here. Not only did God tell Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, but Many other times in the Old Testament, he told his people to be fruitful and multiply. He told Noah to do that after the flood. He told Abraham, the father, to make sure that he does that with the people of faith. After God chose Israel to be his nation, his people, he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And even after Israel came back from the exile, through Jeremiah, he told his people, be fruitful and multiply. What's the point? The point is that Paul is being very intentional when he uses this phrase, bearing fruit and growing, to say that, here we go, God's original mandate in creation finds its primary fulfillment not in the people of Israel, but to all people who put their faith in Jesus Christ. How can I say that more simply or more clearly? The message of the gospel is a message that speaks to people of all races, all cultures, all languages, and all generations because it is the original mandate for mankind, right? That's why it speaks to everybody. The gospel is the reason why we were all created. That's what God is saying. This was part of his DNA that he he put in all of us when we were made in his image. And that's why later on, a few verses later, he calls Jesus Christ the image of God. Right? This is what he's talking about. The gospel of Jesus Christ reaches people regardless of race, culture, or language because it is the message of the creator to his creation. 
The gospel is the message from the creator to his creation. It speaks of the universal need for people to repent of their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness and ultimately to find their true purpose in life by glorifying their creator. Right? That's why the gospel of Jesus Christ, whenever it's shared, it just exerts its power. So that people who didn't even have in mind their own sinfulness gets convicted of it. So that people who didn't even have in mind their need for God all of a sudden realize, oh my God, I'm nothing without him. And they surrender their life to Jesus. It doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what language, it doesn't matter what, what they have. Because that proves that this gospel, it really is the only true gospel that exists in all world. It, it not only It validates it as the only true gospel in the world. And the reason why I preach all this is because this is something that we believers, I think in 2021, need to really get our heads around. Okay, this is something that we all need to get our heads around. The gospel is a very personal message to sinners. Yes, it is my gospel. It is that gospel that saved me. But it's also a movement that has its roots in creation. It was something that was a part of God and that God implemented ever since he created the world, right? And so this has been going on for thousands of years. And the thing is, what you need to realize when you look at your life is that you have an opportunity to be a part of that movement in this era of time. You know what I'm saying? You could be part of what God is doing right now in our generation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you ever saw your life like that, but this is what you need to start looking at your life as. It's not just my gospel, but God is challenging all believers and all children of his to be a part of his gospel and his movement that is saving and changing people all across the earth right now. And this is why Paul chooses to write a letter to a church of people he's never met while he's in jail. Why? Because at the bigger picture is because he just lavishes every moment that he has in his earthly life to be a part of this amazing gospel movement that God is doing all around the world. And he wants to be a part of that till the day he dies. And that's something that we can all be a part of as well. You know, we're all like, oh man, what should I do with my life? You know, what, what major, what should I major in? You know, which trade school should I go to or whatever? And those, those are all important questions. But I hope it's all in the context of because this is how I want to use it to be a part of this amazing movement that's been going on for thousands of years that totally reflects the character and the DNA of God in this earth. This is what we're going to celebrate for eternity. I want to be, I want to be a part of it. Even if I'm in jail, I'm still going to be a part of it. This is what I want to be a part of. And I hope you always want to be a part of that story. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be in jail or be involved with some kind of foreign ministry to be a part of that. All you need to do is ask God. How do I do that? Simply, ask God who you can reach today. Start looking around and start praying for them. Start sharing the gospel with them. Invite them to surrender their, their lives to Jesus. And that's how you take your step into the gospel movement. And make that your life, right? Um, and if we truly understand that the gospel is the original mandate that the creator wants to share with his creation, then no one is exempt from the message, meaning there is no barrier that the gospel cannot cross. And if I can make this much more personal, that means there's no excuse for us not to share. 
you know? So hopefully we do. We had a visitor come to FLM once. I don't know if you ever noticed him. Unfortunately, he never came back. But he wasn't Asian. And so I went straight up to him after service, and I asked, hey, how did you come? And he said, well, I was just walking down the street in Bankstown one day, and uh, this Asian lady came up to me and uh, started talking to me about Jesus. I said, really? So someone from our church? He goes, yeah, someone. But she couldn't speak English that well. I said, wait, hold up. You don't speak English that well. He goes, yes. But so some Asian lady who came up to you randomly out of nowhere on the street starts talking to you about Jesus and church. And he goes, yes. And I said, that conversation made you come here? He goes, yes. And I said, hold up. You're just walking down the street. You don't speak English that well. This lady who doesn't speak English that well, somehow you guys meet. She just starts sharing in her broken English about Jesus and how you need Jesus. And because of that, you got on a bus and came to church? He goes, yes. And I was like, damn. See, we don't need anything. I don't know what. It doesn't take much, does it? That's God, isn't it? And what that tells me, it doesn't take that much skill. It doesn't even take that much language or cultural understanding. It just takes a heart that wants to see people connect with their creator. You know what I'm saying? God will do the rest. And I'm just like, wow. We make so many excuses not to share. You know, we come up with so many strategies and tactics, but we never actually go through with it. You know what I'm saying? We tell everyone to pray for us, but we never actually go do it. But this is what God's been doing ever since the beginning of time. And we have an opportunity to make our whole life about it. You know? And God's inviting you into that. And I hope all of you realize that this is probably the greatest invitation you might get after salvation. You know? That's what causes people in jail to write letters. <laughs> you know? That's just wacko. But that's what they do when they're totally passionate about this privilege and honor that we have to be a part of this gospel movement. <laughs> Lastly, the gospel is changing our leaders, verse 7 and 8, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Here, you know, Paul is actually really pumping up this Epaphras guy, or this Epaphras guy. You know, in all of his letters, this is actually the most praise he's ever given to anyone in any of his letters. He calls him a faithful servant and a faithful minister, a fellow servant and a faithful minister of Christ, and these are loaded words. This word servant, uh, fellow servant, servant actually means slave, which means that he's not only sold out to Jesus, but he's actually completely committed and dedicated to the cause of Christ. He calls him a faithful minister, meaning that he's a true servant of the gospel. So what is Paul doing here? Paul is actually validating this guy as a true minister of the gospel, and he's telling people how reliable this servant of God is. And the point is this, that Epaphras' slavery and dedication to Jesus Christ affirms the gospel that he preaches. God is moving powerfully through those church leaders, and that's what Paul is pointing out to them. I don't know if you guys know, but this past Saturday we had our CG leaders trainers meet, training meeting. We had a one-day training meeting. They came for like six hours to get trained. Isn't that amazing? These are CG leaders and co-leaders and ministry leaders. And, you know, as I was prepping for it, though, I was completely overwhelmed. And I didn't realize this until, like, the night before. You know, 
Um, out of our seven CGs, do you know that five of them are being led by married couples? That's not the majority. That's like the majority. Okay, I know it's the same thing. But it's amazing. Five. And among those five, four of them have multiple children. Do you know this? That's like absolutely amazing to me. Four out of our seven CGs are being led by families. And what you need to understand is how rare this is in English ministries of immigrant churches. Do you know that in most English ministries of immigrant churches, the moment they get married, it's their excuse not to serve anymore? Do you know that? But we actually had a couple in, in our church that said, we got married in order to serve together. I was like, that's so amazing, right? And then we have, you know, a lot of couples, when the moment they get pregnant, they're like, oh yeah, hands off now, because we need to it's about the baby. You know, or they might give birth like, yeah, yeah, we got to raise the baby. So they don't ever serve. This is what happens in most churches. But four groups are led by families, people who have young children, you know, people who are like, we have full-time jobs, you know, we have multiple children. We also have the things that we want to do personally and we need to take care of our families. But we got to be a part of what's happening in this church. We got to be a part of what God's doing in this church. We got to shepherd people and we want to see people change. That's amazing. It don't happen. Trust me. Go to any other immigrant church, you ain't going to see that. It doesn't happen. What that tells me is God's moving here. God's doing something like not just good, but crazy. You know? The gospel is changing our leaders, FLM leaders. And I hope it continues to change all of us to become leaders for our generation, you know? And through it, I hope it proves to the world how true and powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. The gospel is changing you, the gospel is changing the world, and the gospel is changing our leaders. And it not only proves how powerful it is, but once again, when we see it and we acknowledge it, it proves how much God is invested in us, right? We talk about it all the time, oh, God is here, you know, Holy Spirit is here. And we say stuff like that, and you're like, oh, is it? But whatever. But when we actually point out these things, it convinces us that God is here. God is invested in us. God is invested in you. And we point out these fruits to show you that your faith is real and that God is real in you so that... You can fully get on board with what God wants to do in your life. Not half get on board, but fully get on board with what the gospel says and what the gospel is calling you to do. And if Jesus Christ died for you and paid the penalty for it and then replaced it all with his righteousness so that you could live for God, live for God. Don't be half-assed about it. Sorry. The Son of God died so that you could be his. And we have the privilege and the honor. It makes men in jail write letters. Men don't write letters, you know? But it makes a man in jail write letters because he wants to be a part of every, every part of him wants to be a part of it. That's what God is saying. We have, God's given us that invitation. And I hope that as we point out the things that God's doing, the way that gospel is changing, changing lives now, I hope it encourages you and challenges you to give yourself fully to what God not only wants from you, but what God's already doing in you.
Let's just be 100% in for all that. Make your faith about journey. Make your faith journey about Christ, not about you. Make your faith journey about loving people around you that are hard to love, not about the ones that love you. Make your faith journey about God's gospel movement and inviting others into it. And let's be a part of the power that is changing lives today. Let's pray. You know, I love pastoring a church where the gospel is alive and where God is changing lives, and that's happening here. And as much as I love the change, though, I'll be very honest, I love seeing that. I love hearing testimonies. I love seeing that fruit with my eyes. It makes me cry, you know? But more than that, I just love being in a place where I know that the pleasure of God rests in. He loves being here. Because I know there are people in this room watching online right now that love being with him, that love serving him, that love being part of this movement. And they understand their calling. They understand what they're called to and why Christ gave his life for, for us to be a part of it. So I hope today as you know, you hear the stories that it convinces you, man, you know, if I've never taken that true step towards Jesus, I'm going to take it today. I'm going to give my life to him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to keep my eyes on what's eternal, that hope stored up for me in heaven. And I'm going to live for what really counts, his glory, his goodness, his pleasure, his smile. Will you do that? Let's do that, and let's just uh, spend some time just thanking him for the ways that he's working within our lives right now. Let's pray.